Hey, before you start today's episode, I just wanted to jump on in and tell you about something so very exciting. I am holding my first ever summit. The Rise Above Summit is going to be on the 20th and the 21st of March and the tickets to it are free. All you have to do is register at theriseabovesummit.com. Now, I have pulled together the most phenomenal lineup for you. Honestly, it's like a who's who of the online world. So if you have an online business that you want to grow, so you're either a course creator, a membership owner, or a coach and do offer group programs, then this is definitely the summit for you. You are going to learn everything you need to know from the best experts out there in terms of growing that business. Let me just give you a little rundown of some of the speakers that we've got speaking. We've got the amazing Amy Porterfield, who's going to be sharing with us about growing her audience and basically creating a million dollar online business. We've got the phenomenal Michael Hyatt, who is a New York Times bestselling author, who's going to be talking to us about getting organized in our business. We've got Mike from the Membership Guys, who's going to be talking about using free content to sell your online membership. We've got Lucy Street from Adobe Express sharing the secret source of social media. We've got Graham Cochran, who's talking about a million dollar life giving business formula. And I do an amazing interview with him. We have Adrian Salisbury talking about three keys to maximizing your on camera presence. We have Kirsten Miller, Mary Hyatt, Joy Ann Boyce. Uh, we have Fifi Mason, Robin Kennedy. We have Kylie Lang, Melanie Moore, Jen Lena, Natalie Bullen, Liz Mosley. Like the list goes on and on and on. We honestly have the most phenomenal people. We also have various different activities that you can take part in that go from meditation to tapping to doing marketing in 10 minutes. So we've got lots of fun things and there's also competitions to get amazing swag. So go and check out theriseabovesummit.com. It will be linked in the show notes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Go and find it in my social media. Get your free ticket. And after you get your free ticket, you will be given the opportunity to upgrade to our VIP pass. And our VIP pass means that you can watch any of these sessions whenever you want. Because the one thing about putting on such an amazing summit with such a big and amazing lineup is that we can't fit them all in two days. And in order to fit them in, we're doing tracks. So you will get to pick between three different speakers of which one to watch live. And unless you've got the VIP passed, you won't be able to watch the speakers that you've missed. So do check that out as well. It's honestly going to be amazing. I am so very excited about it and I can't wait to see you there. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast, episode 225. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast and I'm your host, Teresa Heathwaring. If you're a marketer, business owner or entrepreneur that is frustrated and overwhelmed with all the constant changes in digital marketing and social media, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each week, I share with you easy, insightful and actionable steps that you can use to grow your business. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you doing? So we are getting very close to the point in which I'm going to change the name of the podcast. So I wanted to make sure that you've got sort of 
plenty of heads up before we do it. I think it's actually happening in two episodes time um, that you'll get a new intro and outro. You'll get maybe slightly tweaked the way we do it. I haven't even decided yet, if I'm totally honest. The list of things that I've got to do to get ready for the rebrand and the website is huge, so big. Also, at the same time, I decided I might try out a different email system because although I love Kajabi and it's brilliant because it does all of the stuff in one, uh, we're also creating a quiz. And in order for the quiz to be really good and give you specific answers, I need an email system that can work a bit harder than the one that then Kajabi can do currently. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot on our plate this month. I am working the team very, very hard. Uh, they are all being amazing and getting stuff done. So um, it's been a busy old time. But like I said, it's coming. You don't need to do anything. Just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast because the podcast will stay subscribed. The name will just change for you. So hopefully you shouldn't lose me or anything like that. But make sure that you've hit that subscribe button wherever you listen. Okay. So this week we've got an interview and it's with the amazing Natalie Bullen. She was so good. I can't even tell you. I loved this interview. But let me tell you a bit about Natalie first. So Natalie, through her work as a financial consultant, business coach and banker, she discovered that the biggest hindrance to financial freedom is mindset. Totally. Realising that many people's view of wealth is unattainable or they see it as unattainable or something that's simply for those people. Natalie has an ambition to shift her perspective for everyone she meets by encouraging them to improve their relationship with money. Growing up in one of the poorest states in the country, the Alabama native witnessed firsthand how impact, uh, see this is me trying to read again, I hate reading, how the impact of financial illiteracy, uh, I can't read, I'm going to have to get some lessons in how to read, and economic deprivation can have on a community. Determined not to be another statistics, Natalie worked tirelessly to establish herself as the go-to guru for all things finance. And it was great, actually. What I really particularly loved about this talk is Natalie's not just talking about the money from a mindset point of view. So she's not just going, you know, manifest it and it'll come. She's also very practical and talks about some very practical things. So I really, really liked that. I think I said last week on the podcast that she spoke for my event, that when the doors open again to the membership, all the past recordings and and events are all up there so you can see them all. But yeah, when I had her at the event, she was so good. So, so good. So I think you're going to love this episode and get lots from it. So without further ado, here's the lovely Natalie. So I am really excited today to welcome to the podcast, the lovely Natalie Bullen. Natalie, how are you doing? I am well. Thank you so much for asking. How are you? I am. I am good. I'm, I was just saying before we got on, I've, I've been a busy week. I've been speaking and I'm just a little bit worn out, but I, oh, I'll be fine. I am all good. You have come on this call, giving me so much energy. And don't you just love it when like, in fact, I was talking about this just literally at this event about like some people you step into their energy and it's like, ooh, that's not nice. And then some people you step into their energy and it's like, woof. Like, so that's what I got when you came on the call. So that's awesome. So Natalie, I'm excited about today's conversation, but before we get started on it, I start my podcast the same way every time, which I'm sure, well, for me, I feel like it bores my audience, but it's important. So 
Can we start off by you telling my lovely audience who you are and how you got to do what you're doing today? Yes, I am Natalie Bullen, um, licensed financial advisor and money mindset coach, owner of Unapologetic Wealth. I have had an affinity towards money since my teenage years. I started my first business when I was nine years old, selling keychains at a uniform store in Mobile, Alabama, where all public school children are required to wear uniforms. And I learned that I knew something about money. It clicked for me in a way that it didn't easily click for others. And as I got older, I started to see how differently Black people, especially women, were treated when we didn't have money and why the wealth gap seemed to be getting wider, even though America seemed to be getting wealthier. We weren't getting wealthier, but the country was getting wealthier. So I went to undergrad and I got a business degree and it didn't solve any of those questions for me. Mm-hmm. And I got an MBA and that didn't really solve a lot of questions for me either. And so I said, you know, what? I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to start speaking on my free time. I'm going to volunteer. And I did over 200 free financial literacy seminars at churches, universities, um, even homeless shelters when they're about to release people back out into the world where they're going to be paying rent again. How do you get back acclimated to having bills? And I guess it never dawned on me to monetize it because, you know, patriarchy. And eventually I said, you know, I'm going to strike out on my own. I'm going to coach people. And I was going to coach them on financial literacy. So I had a workshop planned and it was going to be retirement plans for entrepreneurs. And I had flyers and exciting. No one registered. Crickets. For me, with my energy. Can you believe it? Yeah. And so... (laughs) I boldly hopped in people's DMs and went, hey, why didn't you come to my workshop? Like, why didn't you register? And they sheepishly told me one after another, Natalie, I don't have any money to retire. My business barely even pays me. Natalie, my, my business barely even makes any money. How could, I, how could I save for retirement? I was intimidated by you. You're so much further ahead than me. And naively, I would go, well, if you run a business, how could you be broke? Why would you quit your job to run a business that doesn't pay you? And I realized this is really common. It's really prevalent. This struggling artist um, work for free, this bro marketing that tells you to give it all away and that people will pay you. And I said, this is it. This is it. And, and I really got in tune with teaching people. This doesn't have to be the case. You can have as much money as you want to. This is your business. Go out and make it happen, right? And so giving people the tools to step into the wealth that they deserve and desire has become an elevated level of my financial literacy ministry. I love that. Like, I love the fact that you identified something really young, that it was like in you, built in you. But, And also I, I love the fact, not that this is something to love, but that you went on a search to get you know, to understand this better. And you went and did, you know, your degree and your master's and and yet it didn't solve any question or answer for you because of exactly the problem that it is, isn't it? So Yeah, because it's not a it's it's not a an educational problem. It's it's socioeconomic. I would have needed to have gotten an entirely different degree. Business degrees only teach you how businesses make more and more money by ever increasingly schemey tactics or clever tax strategies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I love the fact that you did that. And then you went out and did all those amazing workshops with people and help people. And it like, that's in your DNA. That's in your, your blood, isn't it? Like people don't like, I often talk about when people have a business, like I work with people who love what they do because I don't want to work with someone who doesn't adore what they do or yeah, we all have bad days, but you know what I mean? That it drives from passion, that they want to make a difference in whatever part of the world that they are in, because that means a lot to me rather than just someone saying, well, actually, this is a good way of making money. I could probably do this. Like it's got to come from that passion, hasn't it? And I love that that yours did, which is ace. So let's talk about, and, and this is such a big, amazing subject to talk about. And it's something that's new to me. Okay. So to give you like a little bit of a background and, and, you know, my listeners might know this and I might've talked about it before, but I came from a fairly working class family. My, both my parents worked. We never had money. Like we were never wealthy. We were probably the poorer children in school. And I didn't know because I didn't know money mindset was even a thing. But when I started to discover and learn and look at this, I started to realize that that my family and I had a very bad money mindset and we were I was brought up with a bad money mindset. But I didn't realize the the impact into which it would have in me and my business. So the fact that you identified that these people had got their own businesses and they weren't doing weren't bringing in the money. Did you see that that was just a money mindset thing or do you think because obviously you come from a, a practical point of view with money as well, don't you? Which is, I do. You, you know, so is it just one thing or is it both? It's it's both. It's money mindset, but it's also lack of business acumen. We are taught to be employees and employees have very few costs. Mm-hmm. Sure, they take taxes and, and social security and, and things like that, but in general, other than being in dress code and driving to work or riding public transportation, mm. what is your cost as an employee? Mm. There really is none. No. So you get what's left. You get the salary that the company can afford to pay you after they've paid all of their other expenses. But we're shielded to that. What company have you ever worked for where you read the company's annual balance sheet? <laughs> none to know how very much their gross revenue. What was the gross revenue for any company you've ever worked for in your life? Wouldn't have a clue. No one does. So mm-hmm. see, we're seeing the end result, a 70 pound or 80K euro or the mm-hmm. $100,000 salary. We're seeing that end number and trying to base our business on that number instead of the gross revenue number or the taxes or the insurance or the net profit and loss of the firm. See, we don't have that data. And if you work for a publicly traded company, the data is out there. We aren't taught to look at it. We wouldn't know what to do with it if we did. Most people do not know how to read financial statements. So when they come into their own business, their first thought is, let me just replace my salary. Mm -hmm. But having a $100,000 salary is not the same as having a business that grosses $100,000 a year. Yeah. You cannot conflate those two numbers. They're not the same. And people don't realize the expense, how much money it costs to run a business, the website and the hosting, the Mm. coaches, the tax liability. You're used to your taxes being taken out of your paycheck. When you're self-employed, you're responsible to pay the IRS in America quarterly. Yeah, I've met entrepreneurs who weren't paying quarterly taxes because no one had told them 
that they were supposed to. Yeah. Right. And they get with me and find out that they owe 10, 20, 30 K. It, it, it's, it's, it's mindset for sure. There's a mindset that gets pushed down on women as nurturers that we should work for free, that that makes us good people, that we should help people. And that is helpful and nice. Oh, they should be nice when they yeah. help people. We should be nurturing and nice and helpful and, and, and poor apparently. And there's nobility in that somehow. Mm. But there's also lack of business acumen that makes a woman go, oh, I can coach someone for 50 bucks an hour because I made $25 an hour, so I'll just double it. Yeah. If yeah. they knew all what went into the cost of their business, they would realize it's impossible for me to coach someone for 50 bucks an hour. So I do both, right? I bring my financial literacy and my, my financial advisory services, mm -hmm. and I do a complete money assessment, a financial review. And then I, I let them know where they're doing great. And I let them know where they should kind of watch. And then I let them know action steps they must take if that's buying more life insurance or mm -hmm. hiring an accountant, right? A lot of times we don't know the difference. What's the difference between a CPA, a CFP, and an EA? Literally people don't know. know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and, and that's just it. So people get intimidated and they just hire no one. Yeah. Right. That's the solution. I don't know. So I'll just do nothing. I empower them to make a decision. And then we look at their mindset and their pricing so that now that you realize if, if you don't look at the money first, then I sound woo. -woo. Oh, just charge more, just charge more, charge your words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it all it all sounds contrived. But if I lay out your financial statements for you and show you how you're losing money this way, and you'll never be able to pay off your house or fund your retirement or retire mm -hmm. your husband. Or pay for your kids' college. Yeah. Well, then raising prices is gonna land. You're you're listening to me mm -hmm. now. It doesn't just sound like manifest your wealth. It sounds yeah. like here's a plan. There's a reason for it. There's a reason. You, exactly. You've said so much in there that I want to just like pick out a few key bits. Sure. So one thing that you said, I think, which is so like I know I was this for sure, was definitely the this is what I earn. So this is what I want to make as a business owner. So that, and, and I still think many business owners just look at turnover, like, and, and don't you think we were chatting before we got on about, you know, some types of people in the business that don't resonate with us. And there are some people out there and my audience will know very well that I'm not a big fan of like, you know, earn six figures in five minutes. But the thing is it's turnover and they don't tell you the full picture. So yeah, you could have a launch of something or other that brings you in six figures, but they might have spent five figures getting to that point. And therefore what's the point? And I think that's something that that's where the acumen comes in, isn't it? That's where the, the knowledge of being a business owner and understanding the business rather than just saying, great, I've hit six figures or great. I now bring in five grand a month. It's got to work, hasn't it? With everything else. So I agree. I think that's why it's important to get with people who are transparent. Um, Denise Duffville Thomas is yeah, very transparent. She sends emails that break down all the numbers from her launch to let people know how much she spent and how much she made. I will also say, if you're expecting to make six and seven figures and not have any expenses, then you're, you shouldn't go into business. Yeah, There will be some expense period. I don't care if you don't hire anybody. I, I don't care. At some point you have to pay something. 
and you hinder yourself trying to do it all yourself to save money. I would rather have a business that makes $50,000 a month and has $20,000 a month in expenses than a business that makes $5,000 a month and has 200 bucks in expenses because I'm trying to bootstrap it all myself. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that's a really important thing to talk about. The other thing that you said that I think I'd really like us to hit on is the fact of, and you are right, this is predominantly women that think like this, the fact of, A, they benchmark their pricing based on, oh, well, this is what I earn as a salary, so actually I'll just charge this. And B, that they feel like they can't or they shouldn't charge they've got to be nice. They've got to be kind. They've got to, you know, not be ruthless, not be greedy. And isn't it funny, the the language that we use for male and female when we talk about money. So like a guy who charges his worth and goes out there and, and, you know, earns good money, we say he earns good money, he does well. A woman is like cutthroat or ruthless or a bitch or, you know what I mean? Like all these things that we label women. I've been called all of those things. Yeah. Like it's. And mean. Yes. Always. Yeah. They're not nice people because if they were nice, they wouldn't be charging. So how do. We- well, I am not nice. I just want to make that incredibly clear to your users that I am not a nice person. And I think anyone who looks up the original definition of the word nice probably wouldn't want to be called that either. Okay. I'm going to we're going to look at that. Like, so mm-hmm. what, let's just talk about that for a minute. Because I know there will be, I'm going to like take a guess, like probably 90% of the the people listening to this are thinking, I can't charge that, or I can't increase my prices, or they feel like that. They, They don't want to be seen as greedy or money grabbing or like... So let's just talk to that a bit. If 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 they're feeling like this, what kind of things do you talk about? What kind of things do you suggest to help people get more comfortable with the fact of it's okay to charge what you're worth? I would ask that person, where is the root of that fear? Where does that fear come from? Say you are an accountant and you have been dealing with clients who barely pay you. They don't pay on time. Um, They don't pay their tax burden. They have you doing all this work. You're chasing behind them for documents. You're trying to do their profit and loss. You don't hear from them. They they say they've gone out of business, but then they come back next year. They they haven't filed for years. They're a problem client and you're charging them $500 a month. And they are hemming and hawing about it because they only make $3,000 a month and it was a bad month and their husband lost their job. It's always something. Mm -hmm. You've got a dozen of clients like this. And you're about to pull your hair out and your husband's trying to figure out why you haven't sent in the money for your own taxes because you're waiting on receivables. Your receivables are quite large and your business bank account is quite low and your clients are quite troublesome. This is usually where I meet people. Your fear is that if you charge more, you won't have clients. I'll ask this. Do you have clients worth keeping now? Yeah. What, What do you have now that you're clinging on to? Right. If you have a business that can't pay you, you have a liability. Why are you clinging to a liability? Mm. If you have a business that's driving you crazy and putting a wedge between you and your spouse, why are you clinging to Mm. that so desperately? If you have a business that only attracts broke people who can't pay you, why are you fighting so hard to keep that? Yeah. Yeah. That that would be my first inclination. The truth is a lot of us are not wealthy right now, or maybe we grew up poor 
And so what we're really saying is not other people can't afford it. It's I can't afford it. Or I wouldn't pay that. That's what we're really saying. It's a broke consciousness and we project it on the other people. I can't buy a $100,000 car. So nobody buys $100,000 cars. Yeah. Rolls Royce would beg to differ. Yeah. <laughs> so I would ask them, what, what money story were you taught, were you told that convinces you that what people will and won't pay? Two, you don't know your client. They're strangers. Try it again. Strangers. <laughs> Teresa, you're beautiful. I don't know how much that artwork is behind you. I don't know how much that dress is you have on. You have on a, a beautiful, you know, nice, smooth, silky eyeliner, very nice, plum <laughs> eyeshadow. It could be Tom Ford for all I know. You could have bought a $300 eyeshadow palette for this. I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. You could use La Mer skincare. Your skin's beautiful. I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Just because I use Neutrogena doesn't mean that's what everyone uses. Yeah, yeah. And so... How are we so arrogant as to convince ourselves that we know what strangers have and don't have or the level with which they're willing to invest in themselves or how resourceful they are? My yeah. first coach was ten thousand U.S. dollars. My salary at the time was forty nine thousand U.S. dollars and the business had made zero. Wow. It was a hardship. OK, mm. How do you think I would have felt if that coach would have said, oh, Natalie, you know, I have a coaching program that would help you tremendously, you know, skyrocket your business. But I know you're just a poor little personal banker. And so I won't offer it to you. That'd be mean of me to offer you a $10,000 solution because I know you can't afford it. So I don't want to make you feel bad. It's, it's almost like a charity when you yeah. think about it. You're really looking down on people and, and deciding for them what they deserve to have. And no mm -hmm. one wants to be treated like that. You wouldn't want to go to the Audi dealership and have somebody show you the cheapest car on the lot because they didn't think you could afford the nicest car on the lot. You would call that discriminatory. Yeah, you would. So yeah. why are we discriminating against people we claim in our niceness that we want to serve? So step away from deciding what people can and can't afford. Target doesn't care if you can afford the groceries. They set mm -hmm. the price at the price they need to be profitable. That's it. If you can afford it, great. If you can't, you may have to make another solution. We are not in business to please our client or to make solutions cost what they can afford. Yeah, We're yeah. in business to grow our impact, our influence, and our income. That's yeah. it. That's why you're in business. So I, 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 would, I would challenge that person, really do a deep dive. Why, why did you start this business? Was it to make people happy? Because if you're in it to make other people happy, you will probably make yourself unhappy in the yeah. process. Yeah. I'm going to be mad as hell if my business leaves me broke. I'm just going to tell you the truth. If I go to transfer my owner's draw and the money not there, the yeah. business is closed. Like, <laughs> do you know what? You know, we need that dialogue. <laughs> no, just laughing like, you know. But you're right. <laughs> we need that, that tough talk sometimes because, like, <laughs> I'm, so like, I'm like unapologetic wealth is broke we're closed yeah, yeah so sorry but done see you later bye, bye. like but you're right because you know when I think about some of the members I've got right in my membership and literally and I know if they listen to this they know I'm thinking about them like they know I know them that well and they don't like charging for stuff. They don't see the value in themselves. They don't. And it's like, 
or lots of people use the excuse. And I would say that I have some point of my audience don't, they can't pay that money. We're, like you said, if I, we, we are very lucky. We have two very nice Audis. And if I went into Audi, like, in a, you know, the next time I go in and they go, here's a, here's a, this one, I'd be like, excuse me. Like, don't guess what I can afford. And like you said, it's really insulting. Whereas we don't feel like we're coming from that angle. We feel like we're coming from a kindness of like, I'm being considerate and thoughtful. So that's why I don't want to put my prices up. But, but are right. you, are you being considerate by offering someone a service that is below what mm. they actually need as a transformation? Are you really being considerate by offering to help them when you resent them? If exactly. someone charges you an amount of money and you resent them for it, mm-hmm. you've done them a disservice. That's actually mean. Yeah. Have you done people? Think about what people will say. I'm black, obviously. Maybe not so obvious to people too. <laughs> I'm black and I'm American. And in America, we have things called HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. And they're from an era when unfortunately black people could not go to schools owned by white people. So we had to mm-hmm. create our own schools, which is an unfortunate part of the history of slavery and racism in the United yeah. States. Well, these institutions still exist and they still attract black people because even though now we could go to schools where there are non-black people, mm-hmm. we aren't always welcomed there. And sometimes we just want to be with us. And so they still exist. Okay. And there's mm-hmm. a stigma around these schools that they are as rigorous as white schools or that they aren't as challenging in the curriculum or that they don't produce mm-hmm. as good a result. Right. It's false, but it's how people feel. Similar to community colleges. You send your child to a two year Mm -hmm. school and people try to pretend as though they didn't get the education of a four year school. Even if they finish at a four year university, they go, oh, oh, you sent your child to a lower university. There's a stigma. Right. Why would you intentionally stigmatize your client by giving them a lower value solution at a price Mm -hmm. they can't afford? That's not really very useful. If you take that Audi to the shop and it really needs a new engine, but instead they offer you a tune-up because that's what you can afford, they've actually harmed you because they've set you back, right? You're still going to need a new engine. You wasted money on a lower solution when you'll still need to pay for the real solution. And Mm -hmm. they wasted your time. Your time is invaluable. You can't get it back. So why would you push someone into a solution that wastes both of your time? Oh, I love that. And I love that example of, like you said, taking your car in and they think they're doing you a kindness and actually you're doing far from it. And and I know this has been true for me and, and my first coach was $15,000 and I, I had a real panic attack about it, I have to say. Right. But it meant I did the work. I took it seriously. Like I knew I was stretching myself, but I did it for two reasons. One, in my head, I was mentally putting myself at that next level already. Like whether I felt I was there or not, I was putting myself there. And then on the other side, it was, it, it meant that I worked hard for it because it was like, I am not going to waste this. I'd had coaches in the past that had done like deals with me. So we swapped services. Didn't work. Not the same. It's not the same. I hate a barter. If I barter, I pay your invoice. You pay mine. I Mm -hmm. sign your contract. You sign mine. 
Mm-hmm. I still want to have the painful feeling of typing in my credit card number. Yeah, yeah. But a yeah. flat barter, it doesn't work. Neither of you do the work. That's typically yeah. what happens. Exactly. And and funnily enough, you know, a, a good friend of mine, he, he pays me for stuff and I pay him for stuff. Mm-hmm. We both use each other's services, but we never not pay. And we pay exactly what we charge. So I don't expect him to give it me half the price and he doesn't expect me to give him a free place into something right. or other. The other thing I wanted to touch on is, you know how like we were talking about the types of clients or the types of customers that you might work with who will end up being a nightmare when you think you've done them a favor. They're the ones who are going to take up all your time to all your stuff. And and also the fact of you mentioned and, and touched upon, which again, really hit with me and one of my, my students that, you know, your husband will be looking at you like, well, what is going on? And I know, you know, some of the partners of, of the people who I work with, their partners are looking at them going, you are working your backside off. You are never there for us. You're not there for the children. You never sit down. Or if you do, because inevitably they take the time for the children and them, and they take no time for themselves. Like they will be up working till God knows what time they're running themselves ragged every single day. And like, I think we forget about us in this scenario. Like where's the kindness to us? And that's another thing, you know, but Society has taught women that their needs don't matter. If your husband wants romantic time, you give it to him. If your children want a hug or to play outside, then that's what you do. If your boss wants you to work overtime, then that's what you do. If your client needs a last minute favor, even though you warned her that this thing was going to happen and she didn't listen and now it's happened, Mm. you, you acquiesce. When the church says that they have a meeting and they need you to lead Bible study, you do it. If the fundraiser says they need a hundred bucks and you don't have but a hundred and two dollars in your checking account, you pay it. Mm. That's what society does. It tells women their needs are not important. That's why they start these businesses that are so crappy. Yeah, yeah. Frankly, because the business is not centered around their core. My core value is joy. Mm. Legacy and wealth are great. It's joy. You know why? Because when my core value was legacy, all I did was work. Mm. What if something happens to me tomorrow? Will people have gotten my legacy? I need to record all this content. I need to write all these blogs. I need to hire all these coaches. I need to work, 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 because that's the only way I'll have this legacy. What about my happiness? See, that gets left out of the equation because women have worked so long without it. Unfortunately, it is optional for them. It is optional. Mm. And we're also conditioned that wanting money is bad. There are Christians who erroneously believe that money is the root of all evil. I don't believe that. I don't believe that the love of money is the root of all evil. There is evil that I believe has nothing to do with money, like pedophilia. Yeah, like... I cannot see any financial benefit to that. I think it is flat out evil perversion. I don't think it has anything to do with money. And and like you said, right? And so there are people who you know with money and without money who are still evil and awful. That too, right? So we give money a lot of power yeah. and we think it has the power to corrupt. You hear that? Yeah. Money corrupts. No, no, no. Some corrupt people have money yeah. and they use that money to further their corruption. That is more accurate, right? And and some there's nobility and poverty. Mm. I know that sounds crazy, but if if you you've never heard a tighter band of friends than broke people who lament about money, 
They are so close. You get you four or five women on the phone. Girl, I've just been going through a hard time. My utilities got turned off today. Can I get some money from you? Girl, no. My husband lost his job and the baby had a sickle cell flare. And now, oh, don't even come over here. I haven't had a client pay me in six months. They are the best friends in the world yeah. because they are they are that they are stuck in their tragedy mm-hmm. and their their trauma has become part of their personality. Mm-hmm. I'm an excellent coach. But some people need therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Some people need to meet with a psychiatrist yes. and talk about the deep rooted trauma that keeps them stuck in an unhealthy pattern. And I'm here to tell everyone under the sound of my voice today. If your business doesn't pay you, you are in an unhealthy pattern. Mm-hmm. You have said you client are more important than my children. You client are more important than my husband. You client are more important than me. You're more important than my retirement. You're more important than my mortgage. I'm willing to lose it all so that you believe I'm a nice person who did something for you for free. That thought in your mind is worth every possession and every joy that I have. You are better than me. You have something I don't have. You are worth more than I am worth. I am very humble as your servant. And I pray at some point he will see value in me to pay me. Yeah. Yeah. And that is deep. And I cannot relate. Charge these people. If folks in your circle can't afford to pay, get creative. Partner with a nonprofit. Mm. Right. That could be an option. They could pay you. You could have a partnership, a sponsorship, a fundraiser. Mm. And that way the end user isn't paying more or isn't paying. Right. But is this really they can't afford or is this you trying to twist someone's arm into something they don't think they need? I don't try to convince people who've never made any money that they need to hire me as a coach. Mm-hmm. No, you don't need a coach. You need clients. Yeah. Get some clients and come back to me, right? So is it people can't afford or is it maybe you aren't bold enough to charge more? When people say people won't charge, won't pay me that much, have you ever charged mm. that yeah. much? Like, is that a fact that we know for certain or is this like, well, I suspect because... I'm struggling to get clients now. So if I raise my rates, it's going to be even harder, right? No, it'll be easier because people will know that you're serious. Just like you said, your first coach was 15,000. Mm-hmm. My first coach was 10,000. Was it that there were no cheap options available? Definitely I not. don't think that's what it was. No. I think there were hundreds of cheap mm-hmm. options. You probably sidestepped, you know, 49 pound workshops yeah. and 3,000 pound courses mm-hmm. to pay. 15K for that mm-hmm. coach, right? Like you purposely leaped over low price things for that coach. Why? Because you believed there was a massive transformation attached to that massive mm-hmm. price tag. It wasn't that cheap options weren't there. You didn't take them. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of people right now who are positioning themselves as cheap because they think that's what people want. Yeah. But when I go to the mall, Fendi has a line. Louis Vuitton has a line. Gucci has a line. Old Navy never has a line. (laughs) Zara doesn't have a line. Topshop? No line. I'm just saying, like, people want premier. We just have to be bold enough to to be a premier business and not be a discount business, especially for 
the wrong reason. If, if the reason is helping marginalized people, mm-hmm. we just need to restructure your business. Yeah. If it's so people will like me, that's the wrong reason. And you said some really good stuff there in fact of like, you know, that people will pay. And what I always find really interesting is when we wrongly make an assumption about someone and think they can't afford this, they normally blow me out the water by buying something crazy expensive from someone else. And you're like, I didn't offer this because I thought you couldn't afford it. And they get it from someone else. Like, so it's not that it's priorities. I remember um, when I, my ex-husband and I separated and I started my business and my daughter started school. She was like four, starting um, infant school and life was hard. Like I was on my own. I'd started a business, like money was tough. And I was taking her to school. I was trying to do the school run. The hours weren't long enough. I was getting really stressed with like trying to fit everything in, trying to build this business, trying to manage her as a parent. It was awful. So I decided one day that I wanted to move her to private school and I wanted her to be in a private school where she could be more settled because she was, and I wasn't getting the service I should have had from the school she was in. And it was a, that was a state school, but I felt like I had no power to challenge the Muslim staff. Anyway, I went along, I looked at this private school. Everybody without fail thought I had lost my mind. I was a single parent. I was running my home. I had got no job. I had just started this business and I made the, what appeared to most people, the insane decision to take my child out of free school and put her into a private school. And I remember a friend of mine saying to me, like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, it's priorities. That's all it is. Like my priority to my daughter, that she's happy, that she's settled, that she can have a slightly longer day at this one school where they love her and it's small and it's beautiful and it's great. Like that priority is more important to me than having a better car or having, you know, going out for dinner three times a week. Like it's just priorities. It was just for me. Actually, that was more important. And it's the same with the coach. It's the same when I do spend the money. Like you said, you know, if you're going to pay not much for something, then it probably isn't a big priority in your world, is it? Right. And that's a story for another day. We'll be on this podcast. We'll be <laughs> a, a, a Shakespearean monologue if I get it on my soapbox. I t- we'll have to do that for another yeah. day. I'll get the book written. I'll come back. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll talk about that. <laughs> We'll do that. But I, I, again, I was with a gentleman for three years. We went ring shopping. We didn't get married. 11 months later, I got married. Wow. Because I was ready to get married. See, so the commitment that he would give me, I wanted it. He just didn't offer it. Yeah. So I found it in someone else. Yeah. This is what we do when we low price people. Mm. Right. Before Lexus, there was just Toyota. When Hyundai first came out, it was just Hyundai. Mm. And they didn't have a high price option. So when people decided they wanted a luxury $100,000 car, Hyundai didn't have anything to sell them. Yeah. So they were losing business to Audi, BMW, and Rolls Royce right. because they have $100,000 plus offers. So if you don't, people can't take what you don't make. If you don't have that next level, you're essentially telling your clients, 
this is as far as you can go with me. You have to go further with someone else. It's just like the yellow brick road. Mm -hmm. You remember the Wizard of Oz? Everybody got Dorothy just a little bit further down the yellow brick road, but no one was willing to go the whole journey with Dorothy. Yeah, yeah. So you got to decide, are you wanting to to drop people off at 2,000 place and let them pay 10,000 to somebody else? Or would you have rather kept Dorothy and elevated her to 10,000 yourself? Again, this isn't about can't afford. This is about value. I couldn't afford that $10,000 coach either. Let me just put that out there full disclosure. Mm. But I paid it. Mm. Whether I could afford it or not was irrelevant. I knew I needed it. I weighed my pros and cons. And I put it on a credit card. Me, a financial advisor. Okay? (laughs) And not a 0% interest credit card. Okay? I didn't have an offer. It was interest immediately. I cringed every month, but it motivated me to get some clients and implement her ideas and framework and pay the debt off. And I was able to pay that 10K off in three months. Yeah. And, you know, same same kind of story, the fact of I had got that money in a savings account and it was like my buffer. It was like my that's my safety zone within uh, two months of working with her. She'd helped me with two things that meant I bought in all that money again. Like, yeah, like, and there were two customers I was already working with. And basically they had their, their work we were doing because I was being nice. I'd done all this work for them and I hadn't charged them and I didn't want to charge them. So I felt bad. And I sat and had a conversation with her. She helped me structure it in my head. She helped me structure it in terms of what I'm going to do. And I went to them Uh and said, I've done all this work. I'm afraid I'm going to have to charge you more. And the amount that I ended up charging both of them came to the amount that I paid her. Like, there's no way I would have done that. No way on this earth. So yeah, it just, like you said, sometimes we, we do have to make some slightly scary thoughts and decisions. I'm very happy to say that even though I put my daughter in a school, which I could not afford at the time, she is almost turning 12 and is still in that same very school. And I've paid it every single See? month. Like never. And that's just it. You it. stepped out on faith. And I think we also need to look at what's the worst case scenario. Yeah. A lot of times what we telling ourselves is the worst case scenario doesn't make sense. Mm. If you did raise your prices and nobody bought, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, now you have data, right? If you charge $2,000 a month for coaching, you probably can't go to 10 k and keep your same clients. You nope. are going to need new clients. So now you've got data. So maybe instead of raising your prices that much, maybe raise them to 2500 and start doing market research and coffee chats with the type of client you want to attract. Yeah. For instance, I am pivoting from women who are I don't make any money in my business now. Help me learn how to sell so I can make money in my business to I make gobs of money already, but I'm working too hard. Yeah. Or I, I don't have financial literacy. I don't yeah. know how to invest. I don't know how to save. I don't know how to prioritize my financial expenditures. Should I invest first? Should I pay off debt mm-hmm. first? Should I hire an assistant first? What are the tax implications of these decisions? Yeah, yeah. I'm pivoting to people who have money, but don't have time. Yes. And do VIP days with those women where we go through, we come through everything, money, their, their money, their mindset and their mission. Perfect. In one day and give them 30 days of boxer support. That doesn't work for the type of client I had who needs accountability and 
touch points every week and yeah. someone encouraged them to go out and do the dip. I'm ready to pivot to women who are like, no, I got this. My business is good. I just need I your just direction. I just want to make sure I need direction and I want to master my money, right? Mm. That's what I want. Money mastery, yeah. right? That's what I want. So I didn't just quadruple my prices. I started doing research. I started talking to women who make a lot of money, who fit that bill. What would you pay? What do you do? What is the obstacle? How can mm. I help? And so now when I relaunch a new offer suite, it won't be a stab in the dark that I'm no. scared no one will pay for. It'll be a, a very thoughtful, calculated risk. And if nobody buys it, I'll just keep selling the existing stuff until I figure something else out. It's not the end of the world. I love it. Like, that's why I just need people to get over the fear that it's going to be some cataclysmic yeah. eruption yeah. that's going to ruin their life. And like newsflash. Most of our us are already in a business like that. Yeah. Less than 12% of woman-led businesses make $100,000 a year. Less and than that 12%. Includes, all women. Not black and brown women. Wow. And you know, like I know, if that includes white women, then if I exclude white women, that number oh, will that be... That number's like literally falling on the floor. Right. So uh, 100K a year is only $8,300 gross. A month, what are you paying yourself on 8,300 gross? And again, that's the high end of 100K. Yeah, yeah. What if they're making 50K? What if they're making 25K? You're not paying yourself. So now you're leaning on a spouse, missing bill payments, not investing. You don't have anything in your step IRA. You have nothing in life insurance. And, and so now you're trying to coach from a place of duress. You're trying to consult from a coach of a place of duress. How can you educate people when you're at home worried about paying your bills? How can you show up fully? The reason my energy is on 100, because I hit my annual revenue goal in September. Amazing. I've been happy ever since. Because <laughs> everything else is icing on the cake. I can take the rest of the year off and nothing bad will happen. That is incredible. One, my goal was obviously too low, but two, I crushed it and yeah. I feel great about it. And every woman deserves this feeling of economic power. If I want to fly to France for two days for this conference, I can. If I want to tell my husband, you know what? That guy's a jerk. Don't do his photo shoot and refund his $1,500. We can afford it. There mm -hmm. was a time where, frankly, we had to do any job he could get. Yeah. Because yeah. we just needed the job. But now we have a refund fund. I love it. Now, I have a no refund policy, but life happens. I actually had a client whose child passed away. Oh, gosh. And I cried and she cried and I cried and she cried. She did not even ask me for the money back. She didn't and even you, want the money back. She was yeah. like, I'm going to come back to you. I was like, ma'am, yeah, ma'am, you're putting your child in the ground. Like, this is a non-negotiable. 100% with you that. Yeah. Right. But like. How many people have money left over where they could refund mm. a client? What about two clients? What about three clients? Yeah. Right? A lot of people are running so low in their business bank account that they don't have the capital to make a move or do something. I applied for a grant this morning, actually. Mm -hmm. The minimum income requirement or gross revenue requirement was 100 k And it even put in the notes that it's up to 50 women. That sounds like every year they can't even find 50 yeah. women who know about the grant apply and meet the, the income. And when I looked at it, I was like, why don't people apply? Then I saw the income requirement. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's it. Mm -hmm. This is it. You've got to be a minority woman who made 100K. Well, I already told you the statistic. Yeah. There yeah. just aren't that many. Yeah. And that is sad.
free 10,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks to somebody, but you got to prove you're already making money. So you harm yourself in incalculable ways mm. when you decide to settle for a, a low revenue business. It, it's more than just greed or artifice. I don't want to be greedy. This isn't about being greedy. This mm. is about the lifestyle you want. I want to be able to create a scholarship in me and my husband's name and my alma mater, Alabama A&M University in mm -hmm. Huntsville, Alabama. And I want to pay for full tuition for a child from Alabama. Amazing. Um, not going into STEM because I didn't. And I always felt inferior because people were in math and engineering and science. And I didn't have a proclivity towards those things. And mm -hmm. I was always told I'd be broke. And then I got two business degrees and I actually was still broke. Yeah. And I felt like all those people were right and that I was dumb because I wasn't an engineer. And then I moved to the home of NASA. I, I am in the city where the headquarter of NASA is. Amazing. So I meet engineers every single day to kind of rub it in my face that, you know, they make $200,000 a year when we haven't launched a rocket in like five years. Yeah. So how are they still making money? I'm so confused. We hurt ourselves, our communities, our businesses, yes, our so. churches. Wouldn't you love it the next time your church needed money where you could just write a check? Mm -hmm. You know, y'all didn't have to do fundraisers and sell cookies and T-shirts and CDs. Like, wouldn't it be nice if you could just write a check and the whole fundraiser be like over? Like, that's what it does for us. We think about a lot of money and we envision a Kardashian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not, I mean, that's their choice. I'm not saying it's wrong how they spend their money, but like, if you don't have to buy an Aston Martin because you're wealthy, you no, know, you, you, can you can give it all away. You help can, the whole community. You can do so Like the much. Gates, Bill and Melinda, like they have a Bill Gates Foundation. They give away millions of dollars a year. Yeah. You don't have to be a bad person because you have money. That is a, a trope that we need to detach from. As long as we believe money is evil, we will repel it mm -hmm. and we'll continue to have lifestyles that attract, let's say, non-ideal clients. Natalie, honestly, I could talk to you all day. This has been so good. And I know I've needed to hear it. And I think periodically people, we all need to hear this stuff, don't we? Mm -hmm. Like this isn't something tick, done, move on, never worry about that again. No, like mindset is continuous. Yeah, constant. So honestly, I am so very grateful for you coming on. It's been so good. Natalie, if my audience wants to come and find you, where do you hang out most? Um, I live on Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. that's where I live that's where my house is <laughs> I just moved it on to clubhouse yeah. it's been great I am also on Instagram my handle in either place is at unapologetic wealth love it love it love or it. my website www.unapologeticwealth.com amazing we'll link up to everything in the show notes but Natalie it has been an absolute pleasure having you on thank you so much thank you there you go. That was the amazing Natalie. Like I said, I really enjoyed that conversation. I loved her straight talking, how frank she is about these things and how practical she was as well as talking about the mindset stuff. So I hope you got a lot from it. Like I said, make sure that you are subscribed. If you want to post on social about how wonderful it was, I would love that just so much. Anyway, I'll be back next week with a solo episode. I will see you then. Thank you so much for listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do go check out TeresaHeathWaring.com where you'll find more amazing content to help you grow your business.